Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. My name is Jason. I am your host. You're listening to the Brand Identity Design Business Podcast. Currently ranked on Spotify at the, the top 30% of the most followed business uh, podcasts globally. And it's been heard over 23 countries, uh, mainly US, Canada, United Kingdom, Turkey, and even Australia, for a matter of fact. I appreciate everybody. And even India, you know, I can't miss India because I'm from India. So, you know, shout out to all my supporters from India. Without your love and support, this wouldn't have been possible. So, to give you guys a little context who I am, my name is Jason. I'm a brand identity designer. That's why we named the show Brand Identity Design because I wanted to market my business and my talent and my skills. At the same time, I wanted not to attract more designers to the show. I wanted to actually attract my targeted audience, which is entrepreneurs. So that's why we made it like a business podcast. You know, I hope that makes sense to you all. Now, what is the aim of this show? You might be wondering. So the aim of my show is to educate entrepreneurs about business ideas, business in general, share strategies on how to deal with adversities, you know, while you run and manage your business. And sometimes, you know, you need to take a break. Sometimes you need to do X, Y, Z. And by having unique and interesting guests on my show you also get a flavor as to what all things people are doing out there in this world you know so that you know you can be innovative from from a marketing standpoint do something interesting i do this by interviewing high level business executives like dr amanda whom you see next to me who are willing to share their personal and professional experience with all my listeners so thank you so much for your love and support if you have been joining us for the very first time Please do not uh, forget to follow the show. All the links to my show is being mentioned uh, under the event description. This event description page, it has all the links, not only to my show, but also to my guest website, uh, you know, stuff like that. So I also want to make a few announcements. We would be uh, ending season three. The current season is season three. Uh, and I think it should go, it should end roughly around the end of Feb. I have one reserve spot for a high-profile guest. But due to scheduling and, you know, because this guest is busy, I'm not really getting a slot, you know, to make it work. If that interview happens, I should finish this season on March 1st. If not, Feb end, I should wrap up season three. Usually, when I finish a season, I take a 40-day break because you need to heal, recover, regroup, and, and find interesting people again. So season four is expected to start about mid or end of April of 2023. During that time, I'm also intending on launching a podcast magazine which is going to be very exclusive to the people who have been a part of my show so listeners as well if you are participating in my show there is a possibility i might reach out to you asking you to be a part of this magazine as well so it's not just for the guests also participants who join regularly my show uh, and even you know even join the conversation during q a or sometimes even if you're just listening as well uh, i want to shout out to some of my good friends sarah again umika chi and jason who is on clubhouse thank you so much and i want to acknowledge some of the people whom we uh, who whom we have on stage especially jose uh, whom you see on linkedin he's actually not only a good friend but also a sponsor of today's show so thank you so much for your love and support now let's actually deep dive into this conversation so today we're going to be discussing about the neural coding experience and i know 
uh, it sounds a little awkward it sounds a little weird but you know this is very insightful and very exciting so dr amanda fu Rayland will speak on neural coding, which can be used to learn the win and behaviors of top achievers and then create a blueprint of unlimited success, uh, which can be coded into others' neurology. Okay, now let me also give you a shout out on who Dr. Amanda is. Dr. Amanda is a highly skilled master coach, trainer in NLP and timeline therapy. Uh, she's also a clinical, uh, uh, you know, clinical Okay, I'm so sorry. Uh, timeline therapy and cl clinical hypnotherapy. She also has a doctorate in clinical hypnosis. Dr. Amanda has founded uh, Your Life Live It 14 years ago. It's an international neural coding company that has trained over 4,000 plus coaches and out of which 25 were selected globally to assist further in terms of coaching and training more people about the same subject matter. In addition to her coaching work, Dr. Amanda is also the best-selling author and expert speaker on topics of resilience. Her TED Talk, Labelless Living, uh, I would highly recommend you to check this out. I have already added this onto the event uh, notes, not description, but event notes. It has received over 1.4 million views and she's also recognized for a speaker award uh, in London last year. Dr. Amanda's mission is to empower people to live life abundantly uh, through the use of easily implemented resources. I'm really excited to have you with us. Uh, you know, share, you know, your insights and experience about neural coding, which is also known as neural linguistic programming. So, guys, you know, round of applause to Dr. Amanda. Please welcome Amanda Fu Rayland, uh, you know, to the show. Thank you so much, Jason. What an introduction. I feel very humbled and I'm really excited to spend this time with you. So thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you, uh, you know, with me on this stage. It's, it's a complete honor. Let's actually move further with this discussion because I think that's what people are here for. Now, before sure. we actually get into tactics, uh, Dr. Amanda, I want to really know the person who is behind the microphone. Can you tell me about yourself, like who Dr. Amanda is outside your work as a coach and trainer? What do you do in your spare time? You know, when the lights and cameras are off, what do you usually speak to your partner and children, you know, about? What are some of those conversations you're having? What are some of the insecurities or vulnerabilities you might be dealing on a day-to-day -day basis, you know? And on a lighter note, what makes you smile and brings you joy? Well, I think I think the easiest one to to uh, slant towards there is what is it that makes me smile and what brings me joy? And um, I, I think I, I, I have this ritual that I, I, I learned and I can't remember where I learned this. And it's so simple. And many of your listeners will will know about this. But I, I, I really do um, act on this every morning. I, I write down three things that I'm really grateful for. It sounds really simple. And when I reflect on those three things, historically, as I've been doing this for probably about three and a half years, health comes up as uh, one of my number one joys. Uh, the second one is love, uh, connection, 
and contribution. So those are the things that fill my heart with joy every single day. And that's, you know, that's massively global that a lot of people can connect with. And yet they're so simple. But for me, they're so, so meaningful. Um, and I think one of the other things that I really enjoy is, is just an endless quest to learn. You know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm making the call from Lisbon, which is the, you know, beautiful capital of Portugal. And I'm just learning to speak Portuguese and having lessons three times a week and using various apps and, you know, finding it quite challenging. It's an interesting language. So I love to learn as well. I think that's another thing that, that I find um, yeah, I'm an endless learner. And even in, in something that I am an expert in and I, I do revere, um, you know, the work that we've done over the, the, the last, uh, tw you know, 20 years in, in, in deep dive into belief change work. Um, and neural coding, I'm still learning because what's so exciting about this topic is the more we know about the brain, the less we know about the brain because it constantly is evolving and changing. You know, it's got that plasticity. Um, so I'm, I'm endlessly curious about this topic and, and, and there's never going to be a day where I go, oh, well, that's it. I kind of know it all um, around this subject. And I, and I just love that, that we, we, are, we are constantly in this place of learning. I appreciate you sharing this. I, I love the fact that you mentioned gratitude, love, uh, you know, connection, and the desire to learn endlessly. So this is pretty awesome. I appreciate, you know, trying, you know, you sharing this. You know, it gives us a good idea as to, you know, who you are and what you do. At least roughly, you know, it gives us a premise on who you are. So I want to acknowledge all the 33 people who are listening on LinkedIn and a good friend Girish has joined the conversation uh, on Clubhouse. So thank you so much for your love. Please invite a few people to join this conversation. If you're on Clubhouse, I would greatly appreciate this. Uh, let's actually, you know, break this subject of neural coding down into bit-sized chunk. Okay, I want to first, ad you know, address the hypnotherapy side. Okay, so... What is the difference between hypnotherapy and counseling? And do you think they complement one another or no? I think it's an interesting question. Um, I'm not a counselor and, and I've, not, I've never studied counseling. So I what I can't do is comment on what counseling is or isn't. However, what I can share is that I think counseling absolutely has a place um, when a client or when a person is stuck and they're not ready to change, they're not ready to move on. Um, they want to perhaps just, you know, take, take some time, um, almost process, almost have support in processing what is going on for them. Um, before even embarking on any kind of change. So, and the reason I can, I, I can speak to that is because in the number of years that I've worked with clients one-on-one -on -one and our team have worked with clients, we find that we get a lot of clients that have been in the counseling model and have been in it for some time and it's served its purpose. It's done a great job. And now they're kind of like enough already. Now I want to move on. Now I want to make some changes. And that's when um, really the neural coding element or the hypnotherapy element comes. And I, I, I think I, it's, it's really easy for me to be quite clear that 
hypnosis really is a blend, it's blended. So we use a combination of neuro-linguistic programming, which is not a marketeer's dream. It doesn't just trip off the tongue. You know, it, it's, people don't really understand what NLP is, neuro-linguistic programming. In fact, I was, I was interviewed on uh, breakfast television in New Zealand a couple of years ago, and the interview, I had no idea what they were going to ask me. And of course, it's on live television. And she said to me, you know, what does neuro-linguistic programming stand for? And she actually even tripped over a word because it's a difficult thing to sort of expl um, even say. And I, I said to her, you know, that's a great question. Essentially, the simplest way of thinking about it is, imagine you're looking at your, your phone and you're looking at all the apps you've got on your phone and you've got one app that you've maybe paid a reasonable amount of money for and it's supposed to do the thing you want it to do, but it's not doing it. Like it's just, it's just not behaving in the way it should. Then all you do is you go, you know what, this app's a bit useless. I'm just going to delete it from my phone and you delete it. And then you go in and you find an app in the app store that's better fit for purpose and you install that. And effectively, that's what neuro-linguistic programming, or as we call it, neural coding is. It's looking at programs that are running in the software, in our neurology, that are not serving us but we just take them as that's us, that's kind of how we're wired and therefore we've got to always live with that. That's not true, it's a myth. And what we can do is we can delete that program and install something that better serves. And hypnotherapy is a part of that. Uh, and the, the way the hypnosis is a part of that is that it's, there's some linguistic beauty around where the change work happens and, and hypnotherapy plays, plays a role in that too. So I think counseling and neural coding are, are very, very different. Or if you if somebody's a hypnotherapist and that's that's purely their modality and that's what they ex, they're an expert in, I think somebody goes to a hypnotherapist because now I want to change. Whereas counseling is more I'm I'm really not happy with this situation. I want to try and make some sense. I need some help processing this. I need to heal from this. Okay, now I'm ready to go on. And historically in our experience, the counseling model tends to go on for a reasonable amount of time. Uh, and that can be in our experience, anything from six months to, to even, even you know, years, like eight years, 10 years with particular clients. Um, Whereas the change work process tends to be much, much quicker. So one of the things that we, we say on our website is, you know, you book three sessions with one of our neural coders and um, effectively that presenting problem will be sorted in three, possibly five, three, five, if it's a, a really complex issue, sessions, because it's about outcome and it's about change work and it's about getting those results. So, you know, that's to me are the, are the main differences between counseling and hypnotherapy. Let's put it under the umbrella of neurocoding. Awesome. You know, I'm glad that, you know, you kind of broke it down in a way that people can understand it. I would be asking you more specific questions on some of the upsides of neural coding. But before we dive into that, you know, because we, we want to make it contextual to people to get a sense of what you're trying to say. So I want to understand if hypnotherapy and, and psychotherapy, how it is different from one another does you know because both of them i think it 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 it's aimed towards helping uh, the opposite person so and i just want to get your perspective 
Yeah, sure. Um, both all, all change work or all modalities where we're working with neurology is to um, create some change within that person's neurology. I think that's true to say. Um, and again, with psychotherapy, I'm not a psychotherapist, so I, I, I don't have an authority to speak to that. Um, I can only, again, shed that light on, on what I do know about. And I think where hypnotherapy um, works particularly well is we're working with the unconscious part of the neurology. So, you know, if I were to ask your listeners just to, for a moment, just kind of play a little game with me. And if you're driving, please don't do this. Or if you work in any machinery, please don't do this. But if you've got your two arms free and you can just put your two arms down by your side, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to now fold your arms. Right. Super simple. Everyone, everyone's proud that very, very easy just to fold the arms. Now, unfold your arms again, give them a little bit of a stretch, give your fingers a little bit of a whittle, and now fold them the opposite way around. A little bit trickier that time, because what we've done is we have taken what the first time you folded your arms, that was unconscious programming. You have a program for how, do you, how you fold your arms, how you cross your legs, how you brush your teeth, how you say hello to a certain person in the office in the morning. Um, how you respond when you see somebody's name come up in your email box. We have unconscious programming that runs underneath the radar out of conscious awareness. The second time I asked you to fold your arms, I asked you to do it the opposite way around. So now you've got to become conscious of something that you don't have programming for. And that's where it becomes a little bit awkward. And, you know, I can't see, obviously everyone's listening. I can't see you, but I, I do this when I'm speaking, when I'm, I'm doing keynotes and I might have a, a room full of 500 people and you can see the kind of difficulty of trying to fold them the opposite way around. So what hypnotherapy does is it works with that side of our neurology, the unconscious side. And in my book, I just did some new research. You know, I talk about the fact that there are 11, bit, it's 11 million bits of information that can be processed by the unconscious mind every second. It's infinitely, incapable, infinitely capable of being able to process and um, sort and filter those 11 million bits of information. But the conscious mind can only do five to seven things. So you get a sense that when we're working in the realm of the unconscious mind, that's where the change work happens. Now with psychotherapy, I would suggest that there is some work within that unconscious realm, but I think there's a lot more of the conscious and unconscious um, alignment and, and, and perhaps cohesion. Whereas in, in New Zealand, we playfully, I have a, a practice in New Zealand that is, you know, my office. And, and on the door, I've got this beautiful kind of graphic that says, welcome to the changing room. And then at the side of it is, is a little box that says, please leave your conscious mind here. And it's playful and it's a bit of fun and it allows the client to have a bit of a laugh and it's a great icebreaker. But essentially we're being serious because we don't want the client's conscious mind to come into the space. We want to work purely in the unconscious. And what the what hypnotherapy, what timeline therapy, and what neuro-linguistic programming, as we kind of wrap it together as neural coding does, is it works with that unconscious realm, uh, which allows us to really go to where the change needs to start to happen at the unconscious level. 11 million bits. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Let's let's deep dive, you know, things further. I you know, could you could you give us uh, you know, a little upside on what neural linguistic programming, which is also known as neural coding, but a better version of NLP. So what are the upsides of neural coding? 
The upside is that it's it's context free. So what that means is for the client, if the if the client's coming from a place of pain, um, and they've had a lot of trauma, and if they have to climb into that, it's going to cause them to be reassociated with that pain. With neural coding, we can work with the client in a context free environment. So. For the clients, what we find, or anyone that does any of our courses, they kind of go, oh, my God, this is so much fun. Like, I didn't know I could do this. And um, it's it's quite playful. It's it's quite provocative. It's very unexpected, particularly if they've been through, um, you know, a counseling model or a psychotherapy model. It's very light and it's and it's um, it shows them what they can do, what their brains are capable of, as opposed to um, that kind of stuckness that they maybe have experienced and that's why they've come to us so I think that's the main thing that the first take home for a client is oh my god I don't need to get upset every time um you know when I'm working with this because we're just asking them some questions getting them to imagine some things in their in their mind's eye some pictures we're getting to them to play with those pictures move some things around and so they're following instructions consciously but the unconscious is the part that's doing the work. So that's quite refreshing because uh, what we call, when we have a client that's been to lots of different modalities, we call them an experienced client. They're used to literally coming with their own box of tissues because they expect in every session they're going to be in tears. And that's really refreshing for them. So I think that's the first key component. And the second one is that we start and end each session or teaching piece with, what is it that you want to feel you've achieved when you leave the office? Or what is it you want to feel you've achieved when you disconnect from the Zoom call? And each session is an hour. And then we check back in and we go, okay, let's check back in. This is what you told me you wanted to achieve. Where are we at with that? So it's very outcome driven. So the, the client is seeing tangible results on how that makes them feel right now. Whereas before they might have felt nine out of 10 in pain, now they're feeling much lighter, much easier, um, and they can see a solution. So um, I think that's the second component is it's outcome driven. The third one is it's quick. You know, it's it's fast. Um, this is not years of therapy. This is three to five sessions with a core belief change that we might do with a client. And we know it works because I've been doing it a long time since 2005. And I have emails from clients that are like, oh my God, you know, I worked with you. I was one of your first clients and I cannot believe how that's transformed my life. So this kind of change work lasts and we call it, you know, um, it's lasting change. And we also say to our clients, what you're going to create in your own life, we don't do the change work the client does you're going to create unthinkable change, which means you can't even think it yet. It, it's unthinkable. And the more that we peel the layers back, the more it'll become clarity as to what it is you can achieve. That's outstanding. That's really outstanding. So it's very outcome driven and it's very, very fast. That's yeah. lovely. You know, to give people better context, and I'm also interested in identifying, you know, uh, how neural coding can be used for personal and professional growth. So have you tried applying neural coding techniques in your own life? And if you did, what were the results did you see? And maybe you can give us a little idea as to what was the situation, how did you deal with it, and what were the results? Yeah, sure, Jason. I, I think, 
you know, my, my, my TED talk came about because of what's happened in my life um, really since 2013. So I'm, I'm really happy to share this with your, li your listeners and I, I, I will go through a little bit of a, a whirlwind ride. So um, bear with me. I'm going to be very vulnerable um, in this piece. And um, I, I know a lot of it's going to resound with, you, with your listeners for sure, because a lot of people that are listening will have experienced one of one of these components. So, you know, back in 2013, I, you know, I just written my first book. It was very successful um, with my beautiful husband, Keith, who I've been with for 19 years. And, um, you know, life was just fantastic. I'd just cycled from Land's End to John O'Groats, which, you know, is a, the length of the UK, climbed the national three peaks at the same time. So we kind of, you know, cycled the length and climbed the height. And I was as fit as a, a butcher's dog. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd also the year before just run across Portugal, which is seven marathons in seven days. So you get an idea, right? Somebody that's fit and healthy and you know, raising money for charity. And then um, in 2013, I was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And um, I had never been into hospital before, only to visit people. So this was a big shock. And um, what I did was I, I delved immediately into my toolbox because my tendency or my default, my, my programming, my natural kind of default was to go, how can this happen to me? Like, I'm so fit. You know, I, I, I've really looked after myself. I've just done this massive epic bike ride, 100 miles a day, you know, um, for, for 10 days. This is crazy. And yet what I decided to do was I decided to look at the, um, the event as an adventure, an adventure I hadn't chosen to go on, but I was on it anyway. So I might as well look at it through adventurous eyes uh, and look at it through, you know, ch childlike eyes, childlike curiosity. And it served me really well. This is, this is an NLP um, technique in many respects, because what we're effectively doing is we're saying, hey, look, you know, how can I reframe this situation? How can I look at this through very different eyes? Because I was being spoken to as a cancer sufferer, a cancer patient, and a cancer victim. And that was not serving me at any level. So I needed to flip it. And I, I definitely came from a, okay, it's an adventure I haven't chosen to go on. I'm on it anyway. Let's do it. Let's look at this through adventurous eyes. So the first thing I said to the anesthetist when she came to meet me on the morning at like 6 a.m. to take me down for surgery, I was the first one down. She was like, you know, Amanda, let me give you a little concoction. Let me, you know, make you feel a little drowsy. And I was like, no, no, please. Can I meet the team? Can I see the operating theater? You know, I'd like to learn more because I've never seen an operating theater only on the movies. And um, so she was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Perfect. Let's do that. She was sure it was a bit weird. She said, this is a bit odd, but anyway, let's do it. So I met eight people. I, you know, I saw the operating theater. It was really shiny. It was like something out of Star Wars. And I also learned that they were going to listen to Freddie Mercury throughout the surgery, which I was, you know, very happy with. I like Freddie. Um, and so that, that was the first time I kind of went, okay, I need to reframe this experience. And the other thing I did was I set myself a future memory. And this is, this is what I, we do with clients. So it's, it's a phrase that I coined maybe probably even that day you know back in back in uh, November 2013 that I'm going to create a future memory it's a memory that hasn't happened yet but it, but it will happen out in my future and the surgery happened in the November and I decided I was going to run a mountain marathon in the March of the following year and that was me saying goodbye to the big c word um, that I was I turned my back on it and I was now living this healthy life now on that, no, on that November the 14th, um, 2013, if somebody had tapped me on the shoulder and said, a year tomorrow, your husband's going to die, 
I'd have said, no, you've got the wrong, you've totally got the wrong person here because, you know, he's healthy. But yes, a year and a day later, I lost Keith um, to stomach cancer. And again, you know, having to dive into that toolbox to become resilient, to um, to learn from it. Like, don't get me wrong, Jason. I, I certainly didn't, you know, get the news and kind of come bouncing back. I, you know, I don't wear a cape. I'm not a superhero. I'm a human being. And so, you know, I'm, I, I drank a lot of Pinot Noir. I kept myself in a very grey bubble for a while. I, I kind of felt sorry for myself. And, and you know, I've already been touched by cancer once. Why is this happening again? The difference is that I knew that the longer I stayed in what I call effect, being affected by the situation, the longer I believed life was happening to me, then I would lose my power. I would lose my personal power. And so I knew I needed to make a decision. And rather than look at life as in life is happening to me, why is this happening to me? I decided to reframe it by saying life is happening for me. You know, what can I learn for this? This has been sent to teach me something. What can I learn from this? And again, it just completely reframed the experience. So it, it allowed me to think, okay, so I, I, Keith's no longer here. I can't change that. What can I learn from it and how can I grow? And more importantly, because of the field I'm in, how can I help other people? And so I decided that I was going to become the architect of my life and I wanted to attract love back into my life. I'm not a solo traveler. I know myself well enough. And, uh, you know, for somebody that was being with a hot fireman for 10 years and I was married for five years to a basketball player who was six foot seven. And then I married my beautiful husband, Keith, I was with for 19 years before he sadly passed away. I fell in love again. But this time I fell in love with a woman. And you know, you can kind of imagine, even my own mum said to me, Amanda, you're not gay, you're grieving, you know, what you're doing, you're going through a bit of a phase, you know, you need to calm down. But I knew, I knew my truth, and I knew my heart, and I knew that I'd fallen in love with the soul, and this soul just happened to be attached to a female body. And again, my, my toolbox really helped me, because there was a lot of judgment, there was a lot of, you know, some friends even said to me, oh my God, have you been gay all this time? And just like, not, not come out. And I was like, absolutely not. No, I've, I've had three very deep and loving relationships with men. They just happened to be souls that were attached to male bodies. So it allowed me to really think different, differently about what, what does being gay and straight actually mean? What does being all these labels that we have, which is why the, the TED talks about labelless living, you know, are, are, are not helpful. And so, again, I was able to dive into my toolbox and, you know, Sarah and I um, got together. We, we, uh, we decided to get married quite quickly. We decided that we wanted to have a family. And then a month before Sarah and I were due to get married in Portugal, in, in the Algarve, in a beautiful vineyard, we sadly lost Sarah's mum at the age of 60 um, in a diving incident. She was attacked and killed by a great white shark, which, you know, to be honest, you've got more chance of being killed by a vending machine. We've done the maths, we've done the research. It is highly unlikely that, um, that people lose their lives in that way. So imagine a month before we were due to get married, we dug into our toolbox. So the reason I'm so passionate about these tools, the reason I'm so passionate about what I do is because I know that they work. Sarah knows that these tools work. I would not be speaking to you now, Jason, if I didn't have this toolbox. I would be in a very, very different place because there were just too many curveballs that just kept hitting. And, and without the, the knowledge of the neural coding elements, I... I I'm not sure how I would have navigated it. Um, you know, so Sarah and I got married. And then at, at the age of sort of 51, 
I, we decided we're going to have kids. I'm 51. Sarah's younger than me by 14 years. She was going to be the oven and, and uh, you know, um, how, be, be the the carrier of our, our child. And, uh, and I was just going to make sure that she was looked after really well through that experience. Um, and so we, you know, went down the IVF route and we thought, well, the only th we're only missing one component. You know, it's two women. So, you know, it's obvious what the component is. Surely we're going to get pregnant straight away. And we didn't. You know, we, we, we had three failed attempts. Uh, we were a little perplexed as to, you know, what this meant. But we just, we'd set that future memory. We just kept going. And we, we again, looked a bit upon it like life is an adventure. And, you know, we were very blessed that on the... Um, on the, on the 9th of March in 2019, two baby boys were born, four minutes apart, Noah and Jasper. Um, I was 52 then. You know, a lot, of, a lot of my friends went, oh, my God, you're too old to become a parent. This is crazy. Most people are becoming nanas or grandmothers. Um, and so, you know, again, it's, it, what, what my toolbox has allowed me to do is live my life on my terms with my truth and be strong enough and trust myself enough to know that my unconscious mind knows what's best for me. And, and each and every one of you that's listening, your unconscious, your gut feeling, whatever you want to call it, your higher self, the unconscious part of your neurology always knows what's best for you. It has a blueprint for perfect health. It knows exactly where your true north is. And I just really learned to listen to that by um, being able to delete some things that were not serving me and ask the right questions to myself and be able to reframe. So I'm absolute testament and passionate about um, these tools because they work and they are easy to implement and they are easy to help you navigate things when when life throws you huge curveballs which I've just shared with you absolutely I, I can like I'm speechless because you know I can clearly see a fighter a thriver you know you survive cancer you had to deal with the loss of your husband and and then when he got married to Sarah, her mom died accidentally. A lot of death, a lot of things, you know, which are happening, a lot of pressure on you. So you're clearly a fighter and I'm very, very happy to see you in this place, in this position of power as you are right now, using those tools. You know, that is incredibly lovely. Now, since we are on the half an hour mark, I want to quickly give a shout out to my sponsor. Uh, we will continue with the interview after this short uh, sponsored announcement. Uh, and, and during this time, guys, if you're, if you're listening, you know, have a sip of water, stay tuned. We will be opening up the space for Q&A uh, shortly. Fast track your success by becoming a world-class communicator. My name is Jose Ucar. I'm a communication and public speaking coach and the founder of the World Class Communicator Program. If you pay close attention to the best communicators and most influential leaders out there, you will notice that they all have three things in common. A winning mindset, communication one-to-one -one skills, and public speaking. This is precisely how this online training course is laid out. The knowledge I provide in this training will enable you, amongst other things, to talk your way up the business ladder, become the influential leader people look up to, grow your personal brand and your business, deliver memorable and persuasive presentations, create enriching and long-lasting relationships, and much more. So what do you say? Are you ready to become a world-class communicator? Join us today 
using this very special 75% off coupon. Just go to worldclass-communicator.com and enter JASON, all in capital letters, J-A-I-S-O-N. And I look forward to meeting you very soon. Lovely. That was Jose, whom you saw just a while back in the audience. I am only doing sponsored ads, allowing only guests who have been on my show to advertise on my show. Outsiders are not welcome, unfortunately. So I would highly recommend you to have a che you know, check Jose's course out. Uh, the details uh, are listed on the event notes. On LinkedIn, you should be able to find this. Or if you're listening to this recorded version of the show, you should be able to find it under the show description. Let's get uh, into this conversation ahead. Give me a sec. Okay, so a few other questions which I had uh, right now for you, Dr. Amanda, is that, okay, since we are speaking about neural coding, can neural coding can be applied... And this is just an explorative question, okay? I'm just asking just out of curiosity. Can we use neural coding principles in the treatment of drug addiction, uh, you know, with the goal of helping individuals overcome addiction? Uh, could it be effective for maybe reducing instances of violence among prison inmates? Can it be utilized uh, for maybe fostering compassion and healthy relationship dynamics uh, in individuals with a history of abuse? This is just out of curiosity. You know, since we're speaking about growth, uh, since we, you know, you spoke about trauma just a while back. Do you think we can apply this methodology uh, for these things also? Absolutely. Um, all, all of the above that you've just labeled there. Um, you know, the, the, I, I remember specifically working with a young man who had uh, addiction to um, class A drugs and not only class A drugs, but also whilst his medical doctor was trying to get him off class A drugs, he was also addicted to prescription drugs. And so this was a young man around the age of 26 years old, not, 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 you know, a teenager, not a, a youngster, but, you know, obviously a, a bit of a history with, with drug abuse. And the key component with any change work with neural coding is that the client really wants to change. And, and therefore, any behavior, any symptom, any malfunction in our neurology that's not serving the person, if they're really ready to change, then neural coding can help them to do that. Um, and that's the key component. Now, you know, I've some, sometimes I have parents reach out to our community and they'll say um, sort of a, the, the general one is they might have a 20, an 18 to 20 year old son um, who's got a marijuana addiction and he's doing a lot of gaming and the, and the parents are naturally very, very worried. Uh, this person's become quite insular. Uh, they're, they're hours mainly the nocturnal um, and they're not really playing a part in, in the world and the parents are naturally very concerned about this and one of the first things we say is that you know it, what's the most important thing is that your son or your daughter wants to change we know that you want them to uh, however what we don't want them to do is just come along to sessions that you know online just to please mum or dad because you're going to waste your money they're going to waste their time they're going to waste our time they need to be really, really ready. And that is the key component. So we've worked with clients that have had 
sexual abuse from the age of five and the lady came to me when she was in her early 70s so this is a lot of trauma that she's been carrying for a long long time and has been through many 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 different modalities to try and rid rid herself of all the emotion that went with that trauma from that horrific string of experiences um, and yet when she came to me she was just ready she was ready and she believed she'd been guided to the right facilitator we were in the space and uh, she flew down from Wellington in, in New Zealand to, to do a breakthrough session with me, which is over three days. And she walked away and, you know, this was this was about five years ago and she's completely, um, as she would say, free. She's got ultimate freedom. So it, it's it seems it seems like a light treatment to something that that can be very, very complex in a person's life. However, the only question is. Are you ready to change and are you prepared to do what it takes to do to get to get that? And if the answer is yes to both of those things, neural coding can help. In fact, I, I was having a call yesterday. Somebody was interviewing me um, in the UK and they said to me, when else would neural coding never work? And I said, well, if the client's not prepared to change. Well, when else? I said, well, really, if you've everybody's got a brain. So, you know, you've got a brain. It works. It, it's that simple. The only time it wouldn't work is if somebody hasn't got a brain, which doesn't exist. So neural coding works with neurology, it works with our brains. So it, you know, it, it can work with, with all problems, providing the conditions are correct. Absolutely, absolutely. I appreciate you sharing this. Uh, this is a big eye-opener to me because I've never actually, uh, you know, heard context or people giving information on how it can be used to solve these specific problems okay i you know i appreciate you sharing that i see michelle uh michelle down in the audience she i think she's a psychotherapist michelle i have seen you i guess on previous episodes as well uh you know if you if you like to contribute and provide your insight as a psychotherapist on what you just heard you're welcome to join the stage i also want to give a shout out to lachelle atkins america's super mom so lovely to see you and arpit uh, Arpit has actually been a regular listener on my show, same as Natasha from Clubhouse. And lovely to see you guys, you know, being here. And if you're interested in coming up on stage, you know, you're welcome to raise your hand. I will be happy to bring you up. Uh, please join this conversation. Okay, now continuing further, I just have one other question before we start Q&A. So if we shift our focus from neural coding just to, towards hypnotherapy, I want to address some of people's concern because I saw a lot of these questions on Google while I was researching about the subject matter. So the question which arises is uh, some culture, some cultures, okay, ha, you know, view hypnosis as uh, spiritual or supernatural practice, while many others view it as scientific or like a medical intervention. So additionally, culture norms and values may have an influence uh, in the way the individual respond to hypnosis and, and suggestion made by a therapist. Now, how do you think the use of hypnosis and therapy may differ across cross-culture? And how do you take cultural differences in account uh, in your practice as a hypnotherapist and neural coding coach? If you get my question. Yeah, yeah, I understand your, I understand your question. Um, I think hypnotherapy um has, has really been given a bad name and 
And I think the reason for that is because of the hypnotherapy shows that, uh, you know, we, we, we might see locally or we may see on the TV where, uh, you know, a bunch of people are invited onto the stage and they are hypnotized to be, you know, be chickens or eat a, a, an onion and think it's a, an apple. And um, it, it's, it's kind of deemed as entertainment. And it was interesting because I, uh, in, in my, in Queenstown, New Zealand, in the South Island, I spent a lot of time there. And I got called by the um, the mayor of the town because she was very concerned that her daughter had been hypnotized at school. And I actually, ironically, I went to see the show out of curiosity. So I went to the high school and I saw this hypnotherapist up on the stage and he was kind of fooling around these uh, six formers. And it, it was entertaining. Everyone was having a good time. It was light. It was harmless. Um, and, you know, I felt he, 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 whilst it was in the name of entertainment, I felt he was very gentle and, and, and respectful to the students. However, what the, the mayor of the town said to me was, I'm really concerned about my daughter because since the hypnosis, she seems to be really lethargic and really, really tired. And I'm wondering if he hasn't brought her out of, of the, um, the, the trance. And I said, look, I'm really happy to have a chat with her. And, and, and that chat was very quickly resolved in that actually she was kind of playing on it a little bit because it meant she didn't have to study quite so hard. So there was secondary game for, for the daughter. But I just thought it was so interesting that here's the mayor of the town bewildered as to what's happened to a daughter because of this hypnotherapist on stage with these other 20 students. And so um, I, I think there's this myth around it. I can't say what other hypnotherapists do, Jason, but what I, what I can share with you is that if it's rare that I would pu purely use hypnosis in a session with a client because um, I, I might have a plan to do that, but generally I'm using a combination of different modalities with that client. Um, however, if I know that I'm going to be using hypnosis, we have a contract. We have a contract with every client, uh, which we ask the contract to sign, sorry, the client to sign before we engage in any one-on-one um, -on -one time. We also have a series of questions that we ask the client to fill in, and that's all online. All of this is digital um, so that we know what it is the client's wanting from the particular sessions, what outcomes they're wanting, um, what presenting problems are, uh, and all that information. But more importantly, the contract shines a light on what we'll be doing in the session. So if there is anybody that is coming from uh, that, what you've just mentioned in that it could be uh, revered as being spiritual and that that person's deeply religious, then that would flag it up. So we will be able to have that discussion. So we're very respectful of the client's what we call model of the world or version of reality. And we make sure that whatever it is that we're going to be doing with that client fits with that within their, their model uh, in order for them to feel comfortable. Because one of the things that any, any good change work person would do, whether it's, um, you know, counseling, psychotherapy, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, whatever modality it is that we're using, the first thing we've got to do is allow that client to feel as relaxed as possible, as quickly as possible, so that we can, we can really start to get to what's going on for them. So um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. It, it was a lovely answer and, and I appreciate this very, very much. We will open up the space for Q&A 
and i want to let you guys know just in case if you're new the conversation is being recorded and i will be uploading this conversation on spotify google apple and all other podcasting platforms so if you're coming up on stage you are giving me consent to go ahead with the recording i just want to put it out there i want to welcome ashley sarah uh, it's late night in indonesia in in not indonesia but thailand but how are you sarah so nice to see you please flash your mic if you're available and uh, oh yeah sarah welcome welcome she's actually on clubhouse guys you would not be able to see on linkedin so sarah do you have a question for dr amanda would you like to contribute to this conversation yeah first of all good morning it's like 12:49 a.m. here in bangkok but i just like to say that a really interesting conversation and I, i mean i learned so much from her and the question i have is um how does that how does neurocoding like how can we get that in in a country like bangkok um so your question is how do you source it in bangkok neurocoding yeah because you see yeah, you know, sure. when when i say bangkok i meant asia you know it's not a very it's mm. a new thing so anything mm. new in terms of um you know neurologists or anything like mental illness or anything that is new in asia comes out as a very negative thing and it's very hard to i i like what you say and i understand it but not everybody in asia would understand that and it's very hard to get anyone to even get their child to go because of the surrounding saying no yeah sure so there's this cultural pressure because it's not acceptable um this is not somewhere we want to go so there's what you're saying is it's not specifically the location it's more the cultural influence yeah yeah, yeah absolutely you got yeah, that right sure, and that's sure. why i also had the same cultural question because in asia i'm also a part of asia when we had like similar like you know nobody wants to be called as a coo sure <laughs> you get what i'm trying to say right uh, so, yeah yeah so Okay, help help Sarah out. What do you think? I think I think well the the great thing about what's happened particularly during COVID is lots of things have gone digital, lots of things have gone online. Now, we call our what we do, we, we neural coding. So we're a neural coding academy. We teach people neural coding, what we call mind hacks. Essentially what it is, it's neurolinguistic programming. So that's where it's born from. It's just that as I mentioned earlier when I was chatting to Jason, neurolinguistic programming was kind of born in the, you know, the mid 70s. Um it's it's got a really in many respects in some countries got a bad name for itself. It can be pursued as uh, sorry um, perceived as um manipulative and 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 it, it it it's not had a a great um press i don't think and so however there will be people in bangkok that are practicing this that are teaching this um there are people in singapore i know one person that i trained with sebastian that's running a very good school in singapore so i know that there are these schools here that are ethical that are teaching people in um in a really uh what can i say respecting the modality as opposed to you know trying to make a quick book so i think it's a matter of perhaps if you connect with me personally after maybe i can point you in the directions of some really great ethical practitioners in those locations however the 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 flip side of that is this is online 
And, you know, one of the things that I'll be talking about with Jason a little bit later is you can, you can take a dive into these tools and look underneath the hood as to what's going on by by way of some of our courses and you know one of the courses I'm going to talk about I'm, I'm going to be gifting away it was born out of a result of Sarah when she lost a mum one of the questions I asked her was what have you learned from this because this is one of the questions we constantly ask ourselves and she said just to be me and I said okay how can we teach other people the lessons that you've had without the curveballs. And so we developed a five-hour course online called Just Be Me. There's no prerequisite. There's no charge for it. We've been giving it away since COVID. It normally we normally charge 400 US dollars. We've been giving it away. It gives you the opportunity to climb in or anybody that you think would find neurology interesting to climb into kind of a little bit higher up the iceberg. Um, and if you're like, I love this, then you can take a deeper dive and actually qualify in neural coding. And all that's on our website. So please know that there, I do know that there are people that are practicing and, and practicing well and teaching well in the, in the areas that you're talking about. I think it's just, it's a minefield. I get exactly where you're coming from. You know, if you just put in uh, NLP Bangkok, all sorts is going to come up. And how do you know if it's good or bad? Um, and there are definitely some pointers, you know, if they're aligned with the American boards, which are the, big, the biggest boards in the world. So are they aligned with the American board of neuro-linguistic programming, timeline therapy, clinical hypnosis? If they're aligned with those boards, then you, you can pretty much hang your hat on the fact that they are a very credible school and credible practitioner as well. So hopefully that, that answers the question for you. Yes, it does. And I have just one question more. Is that okay to ask, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And after you, we'll so go ahead with Girish. Go ahead. Okay. I won't take much of your time, but I just want to ask you if you say that it's important for the patient to actually um, be ready to do it. What if the patient is not ready and the mother takes on the practice of understanding how to do it? Is, does that work also? Well, um, I think we've got to be careful there because the, in my experience of working with children and parents, sometimes the parent is part of the problem and the parent doesn't see that. And when we point that out to the parent, they're like, oh my God, you are, so, oh my God, like, I can't believe it. You are so right. They hadn't seen it because they've been trying to help so much that the help is actually hindering the change work. So in my, my recommendation would be that the, the child knows that this change work is available, that it's gonna be quick, that it's going to be fun, perhaps different to what they've experienced before, because maybe that child's gone through other different modalities and they've not had so much fun with it, uh, or maybe not got the change. And just be patient um, and, what we tend to do when we're working with the youngest child I've worked with is five and the eldest person I've worked with is 86. So you get a sense that it's a massive range of, of client base. And in fact, we, we have a, a, a kid and teen, teen coach based out of the UK called Rebecca Cousins, who's, who's my beautiful sister and does an amazing job with children. And one of the things she says is I always invite the parent in on the first session. And after that, I just work purely with the child because the child can just be free to talk about what it is that, is, is bothering them. And in some cases, it's the parent. So I think, I think we've got to be very careful and look at what that particular scenario is between that dynamic. Um, and in my experience, it, it, it is generally better for the, the, the child to come and work with themselves with that 
uh, expert in that field. Thank you so much. That's very helpful. You're welcome. My pleasure. Absolutely. And Sana, I'll send you details about Dr. Amanda uh, so that you can reach out and, you know, ask clarifying questions if you have more. I want to actually give a shout out to my man Girish, uh, one of the first individuals who kind of helped me to get into this podcasting game. He coached me also, so thank you so much. Uh, the one and only Girish, please flash your mic if you're available. He's on Clubhouse. Lovely, lovely. Do you have a question uh, for Dr. Amanda or anything you'd like to contribute to this conversation? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Jason, for inviting me up. Uh, Dr. Amanda, nice meeting you for sure. You know, I, I have a question for you. When it comes to uh, Alzheimer's, now, science has shown that women is getting faster in order to get the Alzheimer's versus men. And is that a true statement? That's one. Second is, if that is the case, is there a way to slower the process for all genders when it comes to Alzheimer's by using the, the neuroscience uh, part of things? It's a, it, this is a really, really interesting question. And, you know, I'm going to be really, really honest with you. I don't know the answer to this. What I do know is there is an incredible book um, called The Brain That Changes Itself by a gentleman called Norman Doid. And if you haven't read it or you haven't listened to it on audiobook, I would highly recommend that um, everybody, in my opinion, everybody uh, should, should read this book. It is, um, it is a game changer when it comes to neurology and brain plasticity. And what Norman did was, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. What he did was he, he, his father had a stroke and he's a neurosurgeon. And his brother was also in neuroscience. So both brothers basically um, put their careers on hold. Uh, they were both told that the dad would never walk again, never speak again. The, the stroke was so horrific. And what they did was they decided to um, take it in turns and go down and live in Phoenix with their dad and, and literally treat him like a toddler. They took cho children's toys and, and, um, and, and, and taught him to speak and walk. And he actually ended up um, having a heart attack climbing a mountain in his late 80s. So, you know, we, we, we gained everything. And this got Norman really, really curious about what the brain can and cannot do. Now, in that book, he touches on Alzheimer's. And, and what, he, what he talks about is that one of the key issues in, in prevent, preventing Alzheimer's is learning something new throughout our life and learning something new it, golf wouldn't do it. it it's very clear that it's not something like golf it's not um a, a sport per se because the the the, uh, the body's used to doing that it's a neurological learning so it's things like a new language or a musical instrument um something that's completely new to the neurology has um, a higher opportunity of decreasing the chance of Alzheimer's. So that's that's really only the only light I can shed on that. You know, I lost my my, my father-in-law, Keith's dad, um, passed away, and you know he had Alzheimer's for many many years, and it's such a such a cruel experience for everybody involved. So my heart goes out, and we do get a lot of questions around this. I just think it's that thing that I said to Jason right from the beginning: the more we know about neurology, the less we know. So, you know, I'm sorry not to be able to give you a definitive answer. Um, I'm just gleaning on what I've read about it. And, um, you know, if you haven't read that book, I think it's brought out a second one now. It really is worth a read because it will open up and completely challenge what we think the brain is capable of um, in, in a very exciting way. 
No, you definitely answer the question, which is no answer at all, because a lot of people yeah. are still uh, try to still understand it. So the the answer that I got is still still a good answer. Now, the, the, I know that you have already answered this question. Now, the, the question is that if people are going through certain losses in their family or mm -hmm. even just just the life is not going the way they're going. Right. People, they go to the psychologist and neuroscience and everything else that you can think of. Right. But mm -hmm. according to them, if they ask for help, they're thinking that they are, I don't know, broken or disabled or whatnot. So how do we tell people that asking for help is not a bad thing? It's actually a good thing. Um, you know, I've, I've noticed a big difference since COVID. Um, I got I got. I was down in New Zealand. So, you know, the Kiwis are pioneers, um, particularly, uh, this is a massive generalization. Um, however, I'm, I'm going to put it out there, particularly the farming community and particularly males. It's not cool to talk about the fact you're struggling. It's not cool to talk about the fact that, you know, you're frightened. Where, where are you going to provide for your family? This COVID thing's just wrecked everything. And yet what we noticed, because I was down there for almost two and a half years um, due to COVID, was we noticed this opening up and loosening up around, you know what, I need help. And uh, mainly from the sector that we'd not experienced it from. So I think it's probably, in my experience, it's changed certainly since COVID hit, that there, it is okay to have this conversation, that it is okay to say, you know what, I need help, and that's a good thing. Um, so I think that's a great uh, a great thing that's come out of COVID in that it's giving people permission that perhaps otherwise would have just remained very quiet. New Zealand does have still one of the highest percentages of um, male uh, suicides between um, 18 and 40, though, that, that said. However, COVID has loosened this discussion. So I think the second part to that, um, that question is if you suspect anybody in, in your in your network anybody that comes underneath your radar is struggling is just to show some kindness and just to give some time and just ask you know hey are you okay um because sometimes that's all it might need is just somebody that just says how are you doing how's things and listen and i think where we can tend to sometimes default is We've got so much going on in our own worlds that we ask somebody how they are and they start to tell us that things are a bit rubbish and they're not feeling so good. And then we draw a parallel of what that's like for us in order to try and make them feel better. Whereas actually what we need to do is just take a step back and go, okay, listen, I'm here for you. Talk to me. You know, how is this for you? How is this affecting your sleep? How, you know, just know I'm here. Let's just talk about it. Because sometimes just that really helps somebody to go, you know, so I, I, I'm excited in that I feel that it's the, the, the embarrassment of asking for help has definitely loosened its grip since COVID. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're, you'll experience that as well. So, and, I, and I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thank you so much. I can go on, but, uh, but thank you again for, for your time there. Yeah, thank you. You're, you're welcome. And please, please reach out to me privately if there's, you know, any, anything else that you would like to know more about more than happy to help awesome awesome so that's my friend Girish and Sarah you know I'd like you guys to continue staying on stage because your involvement would be required when we do the rapid fire round uh, Sarah is aware of it Girish you 
had taken a break from the show so you may not know i made a little changes something fun which i like you to be a part of i want to welcome uh, wade to this conversation how are you my friend high five over on linkedin so nice to see you and have you again uh, virtually here on this in our linkedin live so go ahead you know do you have a question for dr amanda or would you like to contribute to this conversation The audio is speaking low, Wade. I'm so sorry. Maybe you can adjust the microphone. Is that better? No, still low. Dr. Amanda, can you hear him? Just very faintly. Okay, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, just my, my one question for you is I've had some experience uh, with neurofeedback. And how would that be different from your neuro uh, programming? So neural feedback, um, you need to uh, elaborate a little bit. I'm not familiar with neural feedback. So just, just share with me a little bit of, about what that is, and then I'll, I'll, um, I'll let you know what I feel the differences are. Okay. The, the neural feedback uh, systems that I have used, uh, and uh, I used to uh, work with a, a mental health uh, uh, support system. And in our program, we used uh, neurofeedback, neurooptimal neurofeedback. And what this does is it hooks you up electronically uh, at eight different points uh, mm -hmm. in your brain, measures your electrical feedback, and through auditory signals, uh, as far as through listening, through music, through tempo and the sure. pace and so forth, it, mm -hmm. ch it changes the, the whole curriculum. And... Uh, it helps in many respects of what you're doing as far as mm. the reprogramming of the brain. Yeah. Okay, great. That gives me, um, I, I'm, I'm now clear on what it is. I think they're very similar. I think the difference is that um, what we replace, perhaps the, the you know, the eight, eight um, points that are hooked up uh, to the system we replace that with the modalities. So we, um, we, we look at the, what we call submodalities of our neurology. So there are, those are our sensors. So we're asking a client, you know, what, um, just allow a picture to come into your mind's eye. We're wanting to know a lot of detail about that picture. So the person's doing it kind of for themselves as opposed to perhaps an external element that's changing those frequencies. So the, the client's in control. Steer, I mean, all we do is hold the remote control and we're very clear with the client uh, what that means. And then we ask them to imagine a soundtrack. We ask them to imagine some internal dialogue. We ask them to imagine a feeling, uh, an actual physical feeling, like you, are you picking up a cold glass? We ask them to imagine a, an emotional feeling, and there may be some taste and smell in there as well. So uh, we're we're effectively eliciting all the um, submodalities of the neurology in order to recode what's going on within there that's not serving and that effectively is where neurolinguistic program is born from this it's the new it's it's the language um that and the the senses that we play with to change how that appears in the neurology um so i think it's similar i think it's the outcomes are probably i, I would imagine your sessions were really outcome driven um in that you would go in and say this is what i want and they would probably check back in with you there to say hey look you know are you noticing that this is different for you? So I think it's a similar a similar approach. Yeah, it, it's absolutely uh, amazing. I would notice uh, is what our clients um, that you know the the first few sessions it would take some time. The sessions would last thirty minutes. And, yeah. And uh, you know, typically by the time somebody had done about thirty sessions, uh, they had 
had such you know, immense changes in, in their their whole psyche and outlook on things. Uh, it was just absolutely dramatic. And you would see some where after just a couple sessions, you would go in to unhook them, uh, and uh, they would be absolutely in tears. And you're like, "Are you okay?" And and, mm. and they would be like, "Yes, I'm just." Tears of joy. I first yeah. time that I've actually felt things properly in such a long time and been able yeah. to have a, a clear focus on 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 outlooks. Yeah, so humbling, isn't it, to to experience that when somebody just feels so free, um, and and yet they they didn't realize it was actually going to be so simple, you know. I yeah. Thank you so much for your time and your. your You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jason, as far as I will have to leave early, uh, I'm going to stay on as long as I can, but I don't know whether <laughs> I'll be around for later on. Right? Absolutely. And I thank you so much for, for today. This has been absolutely fantastic. Lovely, lovely. It's always lovely to have you, Wade. Thank you so much. And I want to give a high five to Thomas Condell from Australia. I'm a big fan of Thomas because he's not only a good person, but a regular uh, participant of the show. And how was your vacation, Thomas? I'm still on vacation, Jason. I'm so glad you made it. <laughs> you didn't have to, but I, I really appreciate uh, the love and the support. Thank you so much for being here. And Pleasure. as you guys know, he's from Australia, so I think it's somewhere around 4.35 a.m. A-E-S-T. Correct. Almost correct. 4.10 A-E-S-T. Uh, sorry, it's, I'm in Queensland, which is, they don't have... Daylight saving because it's so hot up here, as Dr. Amanda would know. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, it is Coming hot. from living in New Zealand, uh, Queensland, they don't, yeah, they've, they're sort of backward because it's so hot. So they want, instead of having daylight saving, uh, the sun goes down in Queensland about 7 p.m. instead of about 9 p.m., um, as opposed to where I live in Melbourne. Yeah, uh, yeah. The sun I, goes I, down I, about Dr. Amanda, do you hear like a a back feed when Thomas is speaking? I just want to make sure it's just it's not me. Do you hear like a vibration? Just a little, a, a, yeah, a little bit of vibration in the background. I'll like take my sound. wire out. I'll uh, take my wire out. Just okay. a moment. Hang on. We want to ensure that the audio quality is How's premium. For, yeah, this that's is in, that's much better. Yes. Okay. Clear as mud. Um, Dr. Amanda, thank you for, for uh, or Jason, thank you for inviting me on stage. I'm a bit late. I, I, I woke up late. I woke up at 3.30 a.m. instead of 2.30 a.m., which is Queensland time. But um, look, I've, I've, I've got a kind of a question and kind of a statement. Um, so the kind of a statement is I've been studying NLP for 30 years, um, purely as an interest, I guess, or a passion. Um, and, and it's not, you know, formally, it's just, you know, reading books, listening lately, listening to podcasts and stuff like that. But obviously 30 years ago, you know, reading authors and stuff like that from bookshops. Um, my kind of statement is my mother um, had Alzheimer's. She died a year ago tomorrow um, at the age of 89 after suffering quite painfully for about six and a half years and, and six and a half years 
she was in a um, aged care facility in, in Melbourne. Um, but even though it was really painful and it was during COVID, so, you know, Melburnians had 262 days of lockdown. And about six months of that, I, I couldn't, you know, communicate with her. Obviously, I couldn't communicate with her over the phone. Uh, they, they suggested Teams and Zoom, and obviously that's no good because uh, she, she could only communicate with touch. But but, but two inter interesting things happened to my mother, um, whose name was Joan, during that six years. The first thing was she was a very accomplished pianist, and so she, so she lost her ability to speak a lot um, earlier than her ability to, to play significantly complex pieces of, on the piano. Secondly, when I used to walk her in the park outside the aged care, and in the end it would be in a wheelchair, she would never communicate with adults However, when there was a three-year-old or a two-year-old or even a, someone younger than two playing in the park, either by themselves or with their, 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 their parents, my mother's eyes would light up and she would um, start a conversation with, with the two-year-old or the three-year-old. And it was amazing to watch because... Initially, I thought, oh, mum, you know, stop annoying this kid. But then I realised it was her brain reverting back to her childhood. And it was incredible to watch. You know, she, her, light, her eyes would light up and she would, she would start conversing with this two-and-a-half-year-old and she would talk about the train that she's playing in on the park or she would say you know her hair tie was beautiful pink color or she would she would say ask her how she's feeling and stuff and um mm. it it kind of gave me some sort of little bit of hope that you know inside my mother's brain which was racked with alzheimer's she still had that um, connective, connectivity with, with another human. She, she couldn't connect with a 58-year-old like myself, her son, but, but she could connect with a two-year-old. And I'm um, just wondering what, what your thoughts are on that. Have you, have you done any studies on it or have you heard about it much? Um, Thomas, thank you for sharing that. Um, and, you know, uh, one of those COVID stories that we've we've heard so many times, and I'm sorry to to, to hear that. I, I haven't personally done any studies on this. However, there is um, some research in the UK where what they have started to do is take um, kindergarten kids into um, old people's homes. And um, it actually is twofold. So it's not just the little ones that and they are they are under the age of five. It's not just the little ones that benefit. And, and sorry, it's not just the older people that benefits, the little ones as well, because they're learning things from these people that have got all this wisdom and all this patience and all this uh, grace 
and time and and yet what they've noticed is that the the um the older people and probably if you just i i don't know what the show's called but it, it, it's a documentary you might even want to just google it you know um toddlers into into care homes in the uk um they, what they what they've noticed is that you know the the people in the care home really open up with these little ones they can just be playful and be childlike again and i think that's probably what you're explaining um there with 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 um, your, your mum's experience joan's experience so um it's not something i've noticed you know i haven't researched this personally my little boys are three and a half years of age uh, they are you know obviously endlessly curious and what i notice interestingly uh, we do a lot of walking and you know we're near the beaches in the summertime they'll gravitate towards older people children their own age and older people um Noah in particular will just go and plonk himself he did, he did this on the beach last last year he went and plonked himself between four old ladies and they were all probably in the late 70s early 80s uh, they were eating sandwiches which i think is a key component however he sat there for ages really really happy chatting away to them and they had a lovely time so i think it's twofold and you know we've lost that as adults now uh, but children haven't, and there's a reason that they they um, perhaps are attracted to to this person that's full of all this wisdom, and knowledge, and time, and grace, and love, and experience. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Thomas. Pleasure. Um, there was a, a number of shows in Australia on, on that um, that they had a group of four year olds, three year olds maybe, but I think four year olds who attended. Um, aged care and uh, they filmed it over a number of um, episodes I think up to about eight episodes and it got quite a quite a good uh, uh, audience so um, I think similar similar concept um, but I, I think what what fascinated me about it was it's, it's human to human connection um, and when Alzheimer's, uh, you know, you know, racks, racks the brain and, and eventually the body. There's still um, there's still a part of, of the brain that that reaches out and um, has that connection. And and my son, who's 16, he was um, about 13 when he was asked, last able to connect with his grandmother. And he connected through humour. Uh, my mother was always a person that, that loved a joke. And um, my son, you know, I think has inherited that, you know, a little bit quirky in that sense. And um, he, what he used to do was take a photo of him and her, a selfie, in the, in the aged care room. And he would then, you know, use Photoshop to... to uh, dress it up and, and put a beard on her or give her pink hair. Filter, and, um, Instagram filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that kind of thing. Brand identity, yeah. Um, maybe he he should listen to this show, Jason. But he he then created a, a, a montage or whatever and um, then would show it back to her. And, of course, her, her, her face would light up. She would laugh. She would joke. Mm. Etc. Mm -hmm. I I want to first of all say you know thank you Thomas and and as well as Girish you know for you guys to be vulnerable by sharing those experiences which are very personal to you 
and and you're curious about it and i'm glad that you know dr amanda was able to address them i would highly encourage you folks and people who are listening as well to reach out to dr amanda if you need more professional help if you think uh, she's the right fit please take guidance or seek guidance uh, from dr amanda so we want to actually uh, move ahead with the rapid fire and i also have a trivia thing you know which i have planned but before we get into that i have questions for sara girish uh, veer and thomas my question for all of you guys have you watched the movie unbroken uh, by any chance yes or no thomas uh who's the act main actor jason Uh Dr. Amanda who is the main actor do you remember I actually can't remember his name Louis Zamperini Zamperini it's it's a uh, that was the name I haven't actor. watched it Okay I've watched it Okay Sounds how about you wait I think I have I I how long ago is this movie I think 2014 or 13 probably around that time Yeah I I believe I have but it it would just be vaguely Okay, no problem. How about you, Girish? Unfortunately, Jason, I do have to go, so I'm terribly sorry. No problem. No problem. Thank you so much for that. Girish, how about you? I've heard about the movie. It's 2014. I think it's I I think you're uh, googling things right now. <laughs> no, 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 it's by 2014. So, I don't remember the the actor, but I meant to see the movie, but I did not see it. Okay, awesome. How about you, Sara? Sara, any idea? Have you seen this movie? I don't remember it. I'm okay. not sure. I can't say for sure. No problem. No problem. So we're going to keep the trivia questions only for Dr. Amanda with related to the movie and maybe you guys can get a laugh out of it. Okay, but it's her favorite movie. I recently watched it and I think it's pretty cool. So let's start with let's start with rapid fire questions. <laughs> Okay so one common question for everyone on stage and rest of the questions will go to Dr Amanda question number 1 if you had to choose one accent Dr Amanda to talk in for the rest of your life which one would you pick it would be the Galway Irish accent i just love it <laughs> can you maybe illustrate <laughs> to us as to how it is now <laughs> Oh jeez now how are you going you're all right <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of my my take i just spent a lot of time in the south of ireland when i worked for estee lauder and i just loved the particularly the galway irish accent yeah that's the one i would pick for me okay why is it called galway irish accent uh well just because the people from galway it, it's it, it's the town of or the city of galway um I, they just run all the words together they when they speak they sound as though they're constantly smiling um and they've just got some really cool little sayings and i just really used to enjoy my time down there and i also like the you know uh, christy moore who is a, a a great songwriter um and yeah so all that lovely southern irish stuff i really enjoy <laughs> yeah that's lovely that's lovely okay question number 2 One thing you really find funny and unique about your Volkswagen camper van. I don't know if you still have it, but I, I remember. Do, I oh, do. Oh, you do. 
Yeah, she just became Portuguese. We just put Portuguese plates on her. She's lime green, just so your listeners can get a picture. She's lime green. She's called Little Miss Dotty Florence. Um, and inside, she is uh, completely decoupage, in, uh, which is kind of like a kind of craft work in like Rupert Bear. So she's, she's colorful, she's bright. And the thing I love about her most is her voice. She has a voice. Um, and so our little boys, when, they, when, when we take them to school, they'll say, good, good morning, Dottie Florence. And she'll go, good morning, boys. How are you today? So she's a very public school girl. Um, she's got a little bit of a lisp. Um, she doesn't like the rain. She doesn't like going too fast. And she doesn't like any swearing. Um, so definitely her voice. And the funniest thing is that these little boys just chat to her all the way to school. And we talk back to her in Dottie Florence's voice. And then they'll ask me a question and I have to remember to go into my normal voice. Yeah, so we have lots of fun with little Miss Dottie Florence's voice. Little Miss Naughty Florence, right? Li- little Miss Dotty, oh, Dotty, Dotty Florence. Oh, Dotty Florence. Yeah, Little Miss Dotty Florence, yeah. Quite a she kind of, she's very much... She, yeah, she's kind of like lashings of ginger beer. Oh, let's go and have a marvelous day. You know, that she's very much like that. So that that's her voice that we've kind of, that's her brand. That's her brand, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question, next question. Okay, and, 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 and see, I'm getting all these questions depend, you know, based on your bio. So if you could listen to one song by Ed Sheeran for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? This is this is so so lame, but it's the Christmas song with Elton John. I just love it, and it's you know he brought it out last year. Um, I just I can't eat, and I love Christmas, so I'm not allowed to listen to Christmas songs. Sarah it forbids me once Christmas period's over. But if I could listen to it all year round, every day, Jason, I would listen to that. It just makes me smile. It's about love. It's about loving the people around you. It's about remembering the people that are no longer here. It's got all the elements and it's got the Christmas cheer as well. What's not to love? That would be my pick. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, due to, uh, you know, due to copyright and those kind of issues, I can't actually play the song. So Ed Sheeran and Elton John, Merry Christmas is the name of the song. You know, please, you know, listen to it. And I'm going to be listening to it, you know, once we finish with, with our interview. Next question for you, uh, Dr. Amanda. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you have ever seen or found while traveling? Wow. Whew. That is an interesting question. The weirdest thing. Okay. I think the weirdest thing... I've ever found and probably the weirdest is is the wrong word although it was weird at the time I found some beautiful friendships from what seemed to be quite weird people at Burning Man because everyone at Burning Man's weird right but Burning Man is this event that goes on in the Nevada desert becomes the um the the I think the the third largest state in Nevada for that particular week that Burning Man is running and I've been there twice And everybody is weird and wonderful, including me and Sarah. And I have just met some of the most beautiful people in such a weird place 
where everything's harsh and hostile and uh, you know, the, you don't know if a sandstorm's going to come and the temperature plummets at night. And there's it's this city that just basically emerges. And of course, you know, people will have heard about Burning Man. There's, there is sex, sex, drug and rock and roll. However, there are so many more elements. It's got everything that a city has. And what I loved about it was the gifting. You know, it's just a gifting mentality. You, you walk in there with, the only thing you can buy is ice. That's it. And everything else is gifted and shared. So I, I, it's weird because Burning Man is weird, but the the best thing ever because I've, we've got some lifelong friendships out of uh, going to the weirdest place on earth. That is incredible. I appreciate you sharing this, uh, you know, with my listeners. It really gives us a context who you are as a person, and and some some of those wonderful things which you have shared. One common question for everyone, and I know we are kind of short on time. Is it okay, Doctor Amanda, if we can extend the show by another ten minutes? Yeah, that's fine. Go for it. Lovely. Okay, so one common question for everyone on stage: Do you have like a a funny camping tradition or superstition that you follow? with your friends or family i'm going to start with you dr amanda and we will go ahead uh, with others well we um we always tie up bunting so um you know those are the little tiny flags and we we, we tie them between dotty florence and we have this big tent called gloria oh. she's gloria the the glorning and she's like a big five meter tent and so we have lots of bunting and fairy lights and we also take a travel guitar and so uh sarah and i play guitar and, and sing and so it's a tradition that we always sit around and we always sing and now the boys are only three three and a half so they're just learning that this is what we do although I was brought up with this so I come from a family of you know mum and dad used to take us to Scarborough camping and dad would take his guitar and that's what we did so we carry on that tradition um, and when the boys get old enough you know if they want to play the guitar I probably am not the best teacher. We'll probably get them a proper teacher. Um, but yeah, hopefully they'll continue the tradition too. I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful and I feel they will. I like the fact that you like to name everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little crazy. Uh, we've got so many names for so many things in our house. It's, it's mad. <laughs> Let's actually get, uh, you know, get to know from Sarah. Sarah, I don't know if you have done camping. I'm a big fan of camping. Uh, I used to ride my motorcycle around India and we used to do a lot of camping. So I want to hear from Sarah. So Sarah, how about you? Have you done camping? Do you have a superstition or a tradition which you follow? Well, it's not like a camping camping, but, you know, when my kids were young and at that time when I was still married and all that, we used for every single New Year's, we used to go to this place called Kauyai, which is not far from Bangkok. And we would just be there. And it's like a farm place in thailand you know we call it the mini texas and you know there's lots of farm animals and cows and all that stuff and it's like a cowboy place so every chris every new year's we'll we'll be there um and having our countdowns out there so we did that for like six years or seven years and that's what we used to do but of course that's discontinued because now it's different so yeah I appreciate you sharing it. You know, you should hear her speaking Thai, guys. You know, it's really funny. You know, Sarah, would you mind saying something in Thai? สวัสดีค่ะสบายดีไหมคะ? 
Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate this. Okay, okay. But let's be respectful for my guest's time. So, Girish, I want to hear from you. I am positive you have done camping. So, he's from New Jersey. So, can you tell us, you know, what are some of the superstition or traditions which you follow? That's a that's a pretty cool stereotype that New Jersey people know how to do <laughs> camping. <laughs> um, I don't know about camping. I, I've done a lot of uh, ski trips uh with with my family i've done a lot of road trips uh with my family and uh what i usually do also with the family which is a sunday night uh uh get together with the family so it could be a, a barbecue it could be a drinks or it could be whatever uh, um those are the fun things for me and, and i know the the key word that i use there is family uh because there are a lot of times we don't spend time with the family so these are the things that I try to do. Uh, but if you're talking about me, we can talk about that offline. Uh, but yeah, that's it for me. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much, Girish. And and I, I totally agree with you. With family, it's so much fun. But sometimes without family, it can be also be fun too. I'm just saying. So, But you know, I, I agree with you 100%. So I want to hear from Thomas. So Thomas, I don't know if you have been camping. Uh, tell us a uh, bit. Yeah. I had to put my wire back in because the birds are really noisy because the sun's rising up here. So I don't know if you can hear the birds, but... Yeah, it sounds um, loud. It sounds loud, It sounds oh, loud, really but it's nice. Loud noise, but... Um, look, I used to be a scout and adventurer in Australia, so I, I, I did a lot of camping, but that was many years ago. And then once I got married, my wife only loves five-star stuff, so... She she's never camped in her life, but no, I can't answer that question. Uh, too long ago, sorry. <laughs> no problem. I appreciate this very very much. Thank you guys for participating in the rapid fire uh, thing. Uh, but you know, I want to give Dr. Amanda the opportunity to speak about her business. Could you tell our audience as to what is your vision uh, with your company? And where do you plan to see yourself, you know, moving ahead in the future? Like, you know, let's say five to 10 years down the line. Uh, what are the things which you want to accomplish with your business and how can people reach out to you? I think the easiest way to describe that is when I started the business in 2005, um, you know, it's that beautiful metaphor of the little boy walking along the beach and, and, and throwing back a starfish into the, you know, all these starfish on the, on, on the beach and he would throw one back and then throw another one back. And this, this elderly gentleman stopped him and said, you know what you're doing? You, you, you know, you can't, you can't possibly make a difference. There's all these starfish on the beach. And he picks up a starfish and he throws it back and he said, yeah, well, it made a difference to that one. Um, and so, you know, when I started back in 2005, there was only me um, using these, these what I call fast, effective tools to allow people to create unthinkable change. And my vision for the future is, is to train people at a high level um, to accredit them with the right accreditations and to build a community and a tribe. And we've already got 26 people in that tribe already. So there's 26 of us, you know, effectively walking on that beach. And so, I, you know, we're building a structure where we're, uh, we're growing as, a, as an organization, we're global, and I can just see more and more and more of that. So we can really change the way that perhaps change work is seen and change, change the way in which people perceive they can train 
to become qualified in a in a really um, professional manner with with toolboxes that really work to be able to help the clients. And not only that, you know, invite the right people where our values are aligned to come and join our community and to be mentored and to you know be surrounded by like minded people. So that's the vision for for the business for sure. Lovely. And uh, how can people reach out to you? What would be the best way? The best, the best way to reach out to me is two different ways. You can either reach out through yourlifelivit.com, which is super simple, or dramandafuryland.com, which is my speaking website. So um, I am a, an international uh, expert speaker on resilience, um, and, and that will give more sort of personal information around me. But either of those... Um, those websites, they'll be able to connect with me. And, you know, what I, I know I mentioned earlier about Just Be Me. So if people are interested in taking a five-hour dive, uh, however they want to do that, you know, there's no time limit on this, but it's a really um, powerful course that is video-driven and it's filmed all over the world. So sometimes we might be up a ski field in New Zealand or we might be on a boat in Portugal. And it's Sarah and I kind of sharing these neural coding mind hacks, not so much looking underneath the bonnet, more about how do you do um, how do you do certain things to help you in certain situations? And that's just been me, the course that was born um, when, you know, Sarah had had her learnings from losing a mum in the way in which she did. And we've been gifting that, as I said, um, since COVID uh, to support people. And I think we've had about six and a half thousand people um, go through that course and, and get great results. That's one way that people might want to learn more. Um, the second way is if you like, I, I really want to learn these tools. I want to get underneath the bonnet. I want to take a look at what's going on in the engine and understand neurology. Then the ultimate transformational course is our signature course, which is, again, completely online. Uh, and the beauty about that is you would get your, your own neural coder that works with you. We call them your learning mentor. So they're teaching you as well as um, facilitating that unthinkable change and really cleaning up your neurology throughout your experience of not only are you learning, but you're completely recoding. And at the end of it, you would leave with three certificates all aligned with the American boards and maybe a possibility to um, to, to join our tribe, uh, obviously, if our values are in alignment. So, that, you know, those are the two opportunities um, that people can take a, a look a lot deeper. So dramandafuryland.com um and uh yourlifelivit.com jason are the best places for people to to connect or obviously through linkedin just you know i'm there just just um, send me a message if there's something more personal that you would rather discuss absolutely absolutely and you know what actually i, I just realized uh, in the beginning when we were doing a sound check you did mention about uh, a review or some award which you won just recently and you're traveling to texas uh, the end of this month would you mind sharing this with my audience yeah it's it's two things actually that have, that have happened i've been invited to go and speak in dallas at the end of um this month so i'm actually flying off to the states for i think three or four days um i'm dropping in uh, to new york to see a very dear friend of mine um who's actually on this call um, so I'd like to say hi, Joan, and thank you for dropping in and listening. Uh, I'm going to see my beautiful friend for two days, but I'm going to Dallas to film. So um, Amazon Prime have a product called Speak Up, which is um, 
their answer really to a TED talk. So the TED talk's done very, very well. And I've been invited to go and speak there. So that'll be 18 to 20 minutes in front of the studio audience, which I'm really happy to do. Uh, film through free cameras and it will be aired um, in the US through, through Prime Video. And then today I just found out that my book has had a review from, um, what's it actually called? Let me find the right terminology. It's called um, Reader's Review. So basically the, the readers review it and then they, they send in their information and this company collates it. And uh, I'm very excited to have been a, given a five-star recommendation and this, uh, this organization comes out of Texas, which is, again, very exciting. So there's a lot happening over there in the U.S., um, I'm very excited about the book. It's getting some fantastic reviews. And as I say, you know, it went to number one bestseller within, I think, about seven hours of launching, which is, um, which just shows that people are really curious. <laughs> yeah, really curious about how they can change themselves. And the, the passion for writing the book is to take the reader on a, on a journey and uh, allow them to discover things that they wouldn't ordinarily discover about themselves. Awesome. Awesome. And I appreciate you sharing this. Uh, is there anything you want, uh, you know, the audience to be left with, you know, any final thoughts or conclusions you have? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think my, my message is really simple is that, you know, I, I think there's a myth out there that change is hard, that it's expensive and then it takes a long time. And actually that, that is, is a, is an illusion change is possible for everybody and we've got so much capability inside of us in fact in our in our practice in new zealand um the obviously the door says you know uh, welcome to the changing room but as the client goes inside on the wall is a piece of artwork that we've had um pop, popped up there and it's all you know branded and it's lovely and it, it, it's quite beautiful and it says you are so much more than you ever think you are and I, and I think that is what I would like to leave your listeners with, is that you are so much more than you ever think you are. And when we work with people's neurology, we're constantly amazed on a daily basis, just in incredible, how, how incredible we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this. Uh, what a fantastic interview. And, and I think, you know, you contributed so much. I'm very, very happy. I wanted to actually give uh, people a heads up on the next week's show, Season 3, Episode 19. The current one, which we just finished, this is going to be my 81st episode. And next week, it's going to be my 82nd episode. More than 7,000 minutes of content, which I have created in the business category, you know, by interviewing high-profile people and guests. So the next interview is going to be about managing founders' fatigue, and Reclaiming Your Spark in 2023 with Nicole Gotch. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. You know, I, I struggled a bit. Let's call, call her Nicole. And we, I would be broadcasting on YouTube, like a video stream and even on LinkedIn. But for my listeners on LinkedIn audio, I'm also going to have a space dedicated for audio so that people can engage and interact. Okay, she's a marketing strategist. Uh, she will be happy to provide you tips on identifying interesting feelings of exhaustion as founders, anxiety, burnout, and overwhelm, you know, with founders generally deal with. So, Nicole will provide you tips on regaining motivation, overcoming burnouts, maintaining the energy and focus you require to run and manage your business. It's going to be an exciting conversation. I have more details about the event uh, on, on my LinkedIn 
profile. If you look under the featured section of my profile, you should be able to find uh, this event being featured there uh, with the event link. So on that note, I want to thank each and everybody listening to this conversation. A lovely, lovely morning, evening, afternoon or wherever you're in the world. Please take care of yourself and shout out to Dr. Amanda for such an exciting and lovely conversation.